Well, today we are on the fifth sermon in this series on Isaiah 40 to 55. And I want to take a moment just to thank you for indulging during this period. I, I feel like I started this last year before retirement on Ash Wednesday of February of this year. The whole year was planned in terms of what do I want my last year of preaching to be? And so I picked the greatest hits for me. Um, And Isaiah 40 to 55 definitely fits into that. And that's where we are ending, uh, starting in Advent and finishing on February 11th with this section of scripture. And it's a very intentional choice for me because these texts have framed so much of life in ministry for the 40 years that I've been a pastor. And, and they're an important part of the scripture to me. And they are, as the title of this series says, they are tidings of comfort and joy. They are God's word to us and they give us uh, songs to sing along the journey of faith. And, you know, when I wrote about this in, in our newsletter and talked about this series, I talked about it as a playlist for the journey you know I mean can you go to a party anymore where they don't have a playlist that someone has come up with you know I mean it's like the the whole notion of the playlist is the thing where we've crafted the music to accompany this event and I don't do this but it's funny it makes me feel old when I go to parties because all these parties have playlists now that are playing in the background and if you get next to the host the host will tell you why they've chosen these particular songs etc etc But this is a playlist for the journey. They're lyrics for between the times, that space that we live. We live in that liminal space in faith. And they remind us, what they do is they remind us of God's presence irrespective of what our circumstances are. And and they bring those tidings of comfort and joy. And we've heard most of the text that I'm going to read today. But let me just recap. The first four sermons in this series were four words, all the beginning with C, The whole notion of comfort, first of all, the God's reach for us in the face of our own need. God is creator, God's choice to make us in the first place. Our confidence, the source of our confidence is our identity as God's creatures and how that gives us energy and a framework in which to live our lives. And then finally, that word covenant, how relationship is at the core of everything that God has created and made, and it is relationship that is the key theme in the scriptures, relationship with God and with one another that gives us purpose and meaning. And so as we looked at those first four parts of Isaiah 40 to 55, we come now to a transition, and the fifth through 11th sermon in this series kind of looks at opposites that characterize the journey of faith how this interplay of opposites works, and it's the norm that we encounter. The life that we live always, whether it's in faith or not in faith, is not a straight line that is just about points along the line and that on this side of the point we were one way and on this side of the point we're going to be the next way and that we all sort of move in this linear way toward some sort of telos. The journey of life is all over the map. And it's circular at times, it's two steps forward, 15 steps back, and, and we go forward. And, and Isaiah 40 to 55 captures this because within verses of each other, you can have two very different views of God. 
And the writer's very, very comfortable with that. The reader, always not so much, because we kind of want to keep God in the same place. But God, of course, is God, and we're not, and God doesn't stay where we expect God to stay. Life doesn't stay where we have planned for it to stay. So this mixture of opposites that we're going to be looking at over the next weeks, Isaiah 40 to 55 kind of sets those things in the context of our lives, that God is with us in both of those places, even though they seem diametrically opposed to one another. The constant in all of that is the presence of God. And today we look at the interplay between blindness and vision that Isaiah leads us into. And again, I want to set this passage in its context. It's hard to know where to start and where to stop in terms of choosing texts to preach because there's this fluidity. And so it's important for me to point out that prior to verse 10, where I'm going to start to read today and where we read right at the outset, there is this line, See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. And then the next line is, so sing to the Lord a new song. And then at the end of this text, in verse 25, you have this description of God's anger, God's fury, God's withdrawal, and apparent absence from his people. So he poured out upon him, his servant, the heat of his anger, the fury of war. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him, but he did not take heart. In other words, we just, you know, we don't know what's going on. We're under, under duress. And then verse 43, where it will be next week. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I've also redeemed you. You see, that it just keeps taking us into these places. So let me read the text again. We've heard a lot of it already in our liturgy, but I want to read it again, and we'll talk through it as well. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its towns lift up their voice, the villages that Kadar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes forth like a soldier, like a warrior. He stirs up his fury. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up all their herbage. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by a road they do not know, by paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are things I will do, and I will not forsake them. They shall be turned back and utterly put to shame those who trust in carved images, who say to cast images, you are our gods. Listen, you that are deaf, and you that are blind, look and see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf like my messenger whom I send? Who is blind like my dedicated one, or blind like the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. 
The Lord was pleased for the sake of his righteousness to magnify his teaching and make it glorious. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become a prey with no one to rescue, a spoil with no one to say, restore. Who among you will give heed to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the spoiler and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? in whose ways they would not walk and in whose law they would not obey. So he poured upon him the heat of his anger and the fury of war. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him, but he did not take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord, in those moments where we are sitting in our own darkness, whether darkness imposed on us or darkness that we have chosen, we pray for those hints of your glory, those flashes of your light that bring to our awareness your invitation to life. Lord, help us to see you in the midst of darkness and to understand you are there even when we cannot see or feel it. Help us to walk the road that is before us, trusting in the truth that you are the way and will be with us along the way. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So when I wrote about this series in my essay in the, the newsletter earlier in, in Advent, I co-opted the title of Brian Doyle's book of essays, One Long River of Song. And whether Doyle came up with that title before he died or whether the person who put these essays together, David James Duncan, came up with the title, it seems like such an uh, appropriate title also for any discussion of these texts in Isaiah 40 to 55. They give us a song and songs to sing along this journey of faith and that image of moving down that river, that one long river of song on which we sing a variety of songs and navigate the bends in the river and the rapids in the river and the still points, the seeming still points in the river, that that's what the journey of faith looks like. It's hard to know how to divide up sermons in this text because if you get into it and start reading it, you just say, I can't really stop there. I've got to go on. The river just keeps flowing, and, and so I invite you sometime to just sit down and read the whole thing, because it's like the river that keeps going, that keeps flowing, it keeps bending, it keeps changing velocity, it, and it's yet also just one long river with all of these experiences. And we navigate all of life as we navigate these experiences and that river that we're talking about in Isaiah 40 to 55 is really the river of relationship with God. It's where we live all of our lives, whether we're recognizing God or not. It is relationship that holds together these mutually exclusive things that we go through. It is the relationship that persists that all of these disparate things actually cohere in that relationship. And the text that I just read 
is kind of how we navigate the journey in those seasons of blindness and in vision, of seeing and not seeing, of dwelling in light and dwelling in darkness. The text is just so wonderfully jumpy. <laughs> it just moves between things and you think, what? Huh? And it starts with this declaration of new things happening. Remember the context in which the, the prophet initially preached. The context is one where this 70-year exile is coming to an end, where this incredible sense of loss and displacement is coming to an end, and yet they are also returning to a place that has been devastated by the Babylonians, and it's not at all the home that they left. And so neither the anticipation of release nor the return home has as much joy attached to it for them. In fact, many people stayed in Babylon. It was just a more comfortable life. Returning home was to return to a place that didn't seem like home anymore. Think about people you know, in places like Paradise, California, where the whole town burned up, or Maui in Lahaina. Is it Lahaina? Is that the, you know, where everything burned? And think about them returning to what geographically is home, but is no longer home. That's the context in which the prophet announces these things. And so the first section of this text is sing a new song. God's doing a new thing. The former things have come to pass. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. So sing that new song to the Lord. It's kind of like what Jeremiah does in the same period of time, although earlier in the exile, when in the Lamentations, he says, you know, my life is one of torture, literally, wormwood and gall. It's an awful thing. But this I call to mind, he says, and this is what I'm going to remember, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that God's mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. That's what's happening here in this passage as well, that this exilic hard time, this wormwood and gall is there, but the mercies of God are still new every morning and all of creation is daily reminding us of that. All of creation is singing the new song every single day. And God is with you. God is mighty against his foes. And then it makes a transition. After this call to sing the new song, it's an admission of what life has been like and what life has felt like in exile. And it's as if God says to his people through the prophet, true, for a time, I seemed absent to you, to say the least. <laughs> For a time, I was, as my friend Karin Town says, out on a smoke break. Not paying too much attention, it seemed to you, and therefore all but absent to you. For a time, I held my peace. I was still and I was restrained. Where was I? Is probably the question you're asking. But brace yourself now. Brace yourselves. Verses 14 through 17, the prophet compares God to a woman in labor. 
There's something being born and God is the mother bringing it to birth. And she is screaming. There is nothing more powerful and also scary than a woman in labor. Because something pretty dramatic is happening. Being married to a birth doula and childbirth educator, I've, I've had my, uh, my soul has been sated, my imagination has been sated uh, uh, with what is actually going on in these moments. And what has become clear to me is that it is a moment of great power for a woman. I think it's why men decided to pretty much stay away, historically. Let her go do that. I'm not comfortable with this side of her. I know this needs to happen, but I'm supposed to be in charge. And there is nothing more less in charge than a man, a husband, especially in a delivery room. (laughs) Don't need to go into the specifics of that story, but (laughs) you have to really decide to participate. And you don't get to do anything to direct anything. And so... God is the mother bringing something to birth in this passage. Can we imagine that? We need to. We need to see this rage-filled, purposeful person moving through something that is bringing new life. And this will open our eyes. This will dispel darkness. It's going to give light, as the prophet says, to a new path. The darkness of the oppressor will be dispelled and overwhelmed by God's light. That's what verses 14 to 17 say pretty clearly. And so then comes the last part of the passage, the conclusion, where essentially the invitation is to watch and to look and to listen. You look at verses 18 through 25, And it's a call to live in anticipation of the creator making all things new. That this particular season of blindness and disorientation is over because the dark space in which the people have been living is being flooded with God's light. That's what the prophet gives witness to. And he says, you've been a people robbed and plundered. You've been a people traumatized. And you know, the thing we know about trauma beyond any doubt is that trauma, if it does anything, completely destroys or decreases our bandwidth to cope with things that have maybe caused us a disruption in our lives. It it makes it harder to cope because that disruption often always sends us back to the trauma and we relive the trauma in the midst of any disruption. Trauma makes it harder to take in the big picture. Trauma reduces life often to pain as we remember a pain that just keeps coming up again and again and again. But what the prophet says is know this, that in spite of what Babylon has done, I am still God, and I've never stopped caring for you. I've never stopped being with you. And yet here's the hard part. True, says God, 
I gave you up to the spoiler. I withheld my agency in that moment that you were falling into the pit. I let you have what you went after and the consequences of it. I let you trip and let you fall into the pit that you dug for yourselves. But now, says Isaiah 43, can't not stop at that. <laughs> but now, I'm at work. I'm redeeming this whole mess. This season of exile is coming to an end, and the river is making a bend, and you are coming out of the rapids into a place of calm. We look at that next week. But what I love about passages like this is that they're a reminder that God is always bigger than our current experience of God. And there are these two pictures of God so profound here and just so seamlessly held together by this scripture and yet so seemingly diametrically opposed to one another. I'm your ruthless, passionate, strong mother who brings you to birth. And is there anything more powerful and warrior-like than a woman in labor giving birth? That's who the prophet tells us God is. God is the one who's both fighting and cooperating with the contractions. This kind of unrestrained passion that's put forward here, cry out, gasp, pant. Those are the words that are used that describes emotional state of being and dedication toward what God is doing in bringing us to birth. It's a process that lays waste to the mountains and hills that moves through insurmountable barriers. And good Lord, what is like labor? <laughs> that is something that is so like labor. You know, it's, it's just how does a baby come out for heaven's sake? I've got to just tell this, this joke that Carol Burnett tells that she says, you want to know what labor is like? Take your bottom lip and pull it up over your forehead. <laughs> God is like the birthing mother. But God says in this text, I am also your loving and seemingly passive father who gave you up to the spoiler. The one who kept his hands off. The one who knows you must be free to make your own choices. The one who, like the father in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, allows both of his sons to just do stupid things <laughs> in the hope that they will become aware that the thing that remains constant throughout that story is I am with you always and everything that is mine is yours. This God who seems to have his hands off and maybe be unconcerned who and who doesn't go running out after his younger son when his younger son does what he does is the one who runs out after him in order to protect him from the community when he comes home. 
who makes a painful choice to let him take responsibility for his choices, but who also is always there ready to welcome him home. And here's the point. Whether the warrior mother bear who fights to bring you into the world or the patient waiting father who waits for you to return to your senses, what God says in both situations is, I am with you and I'm here to redeem you. And that's the still point in the midst of all of this back and forth, all of these opposites, the still point, the constant, the truth that is new every morning and that is the source of every new song that we sing. That is the steadfast love of God. Our lives are always going to be lived in seasons of blindness and seasons of vision. We go back and forth. Both realities will always be with us. And sometimes we will choose the darkness and plunge headlong into it to our detriment. And sometimes the darkness will overtake us through no fault of our own. But either way, God's light, whether we can see it or not, doesn't stop shining. The river of grace never stops flowing. Our path is being illumined and we are being buoyed up by the God whose love for us will never die. Let's pray. Fix our attention on that still point, which is often a light we cannot see. Help us to live in the imagination of it shining and bringing us light to our path. But also grant to us that enormous gift of seeing and navigating the journey in such a way that we see you with us, beside us, behind us, and in front of us. Help us to hear your voice and to know that you are with us even to the end of the age. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.